0: And welcome to the Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Maria Gallagher, Legislative Director of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. My co-host, Education Director Remel Tenney, is on vacation. So filling in for her today is our Executive Director, Christopher Pouchard. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, Chris.
1: Thank you, Maria. It's good to be back.
0: Terrific to have you. You know, Chris, when we talk about rebuilding a culture of life, we need to recognize the fact that the arts are an important part of that. Through the arts, we can communicate truths that might be difficult to broach otherwise. On the program today, we will discuss the artist and his or her role in restoring a culture that values the dignity of each person, no matter the age or stage of development. But first we have a legislative update. Pennsylvania could become a haven for future Gosnells under a dangerous bill being pushed by pro-abortion Democrats. House Bill 1786, which passed the PA House by a vote of 117 to 86, would allow abortionists who live in Pennsylvania, who violate the law in other states, to escape arrest and prosecution. The abortionist shield law could give rise to bad actors in the medical profession seeking sanctuary in the Keystone State. Kermit Gosnell was a West Philadelphia abortionist who was initially accused of killing hundreds of newborn babies and causing the deaths of female patients in his abortion facility, House of Horrors. He was ultimately convicted of murdering three newborn babies and of committing involuntary manslaughter in connection with the death of female immigrant patient, Karnamaya Mungar. He escaped prosecution on additional charges because he destroyed so many records. The bill is the first legislative salvo in what is expected to be an onslaught of pro-abortion legislation from the Pro-Abortion Caucus in the PA House of Representatives. However, the legislation is expected to have little traction in the PA Senate, where pro-life legislative leaders hold sway. The abortion industry has been trying to make Pennsylvania an abortion magnet by handing unscrupulous abortionists the equivalent of a get-out-of-jail-free card, pro-abortion lawmakers are attempting to create the legal framework to attract more abortionists to PA. Interestingly enough, the bill is so broadly written that it would even shield doctors who perform botched vasectomies in other states from facing just prosecution. It is important to note that the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation does not support the prosecution of women who seek abortions, recognizing the fact that they are victims of the abortion industry as well. But abortionists who hurt women should be held accountable for their reckless actions. House Bill 1786 violates that important precept. And now to our guest. Karina Fabian is a busy author who uses her tremendous literary gifts to try to make the world a better place. Karina, welcome to Positively Pro-Life. Hey, thank you. I'm
2: glad to be here. Karina, how did you become a writer? I'm curious. Okay, well, um, it's cliche, but I've always written. So uh, even in third grade, I was writing wild stories and wanting to make them into novels. When I was in college, I wrote a novel, and I thought it was good. Publishers disagreed. I put it away for 10 years, went back to it after uh, having been in the military, having kids and everything else, and it was awful. (laughs) It was terrible. (laughs) I was like, oh, man, I'm so glad this did not get published, and I rewrote it. Um, But going back a little bit after I'd gotten out of the military and I was a stay-at-home mom with two kids and it was getting a little bit stir-crazy, right about Lent. And it came to a head when I was reading a book and thinking, I could do better than this and decided that I needed to. So I gave up a reading for Lent and I told God, I've opened up this time and I would like to write, lead me where you want. By the end of Lent, I was writing for our diocese magazine and also a couple of local magazines doing interviews and things and poking around a little bit with fiction. And I've gradually come to kind of have a balance. I have about 40 books out now. You can find them on Amazon. And I also write uh, freelance for a couple of local magazines and also for fit small business so to be honest that's what pays the bills
0: (laughs) I know but you say that so
2: casually I have 40 books out (laughs) it's like like 40 books oh because I started self-publishing during COVID and Uh I just um I I've, I've worked with some traditional publishers and was I was falling out of love with writing because there's I just was feeling so much pressure to to sell and so I decided you know I I need to I need to come back to loving what I'm doing again and for me the best way was just to be doing it for myself for my readers and and then for what God wanted me to do and self-publishing gave me that avenue but in 2020 the only way to make myself do it, I started out just making a bunch of um, little fill-in books. Uh, there's one that I'm that's great for the new year. It's called um, 365 Days of Wow. I've forgotten the name of my own book. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's 360. It's a journal that you can write small things that happen to you. 365 days of happiness of Small Blessings, and every month I put out one. Wow. So by 2020, I already had 12 plus um, a Space Trapes book out, plus my first Vern novel, uh, and I was just like gradually kicking things out from my backlist that I had as well as creating new ones. I write about two books a year. Oh, my goodness.
1: Your, your fellow guild member also similarly received inspiration during COVID uh, to, to, to <laughs> join the authorial ranks. So, <laughs>
2: company, you know, COVID brought out the best or the worst in people. Mm-hmm. I am seeing more and more where people discovered their creative side or realized that this was the time to concentrate on something that really mattered for them. And and are making a go of it. So you say what, say what you will about the pandemic and the isolation. Some people were able to turn that into into something that that helped them to bloom. Yes, yeah, I, had a, I
1: had a similar experience, but I'm glad you both uh, received motivation, inspiration from that dark mm-hmm. time.
0: And Karina, what is the Catholic Writers Guild
2: and how does it assist writers? Okay, so the Catholic Writers Guild is an absolutely wonderful um, organization. It is for writers, editors, uh, illustrators, publishers, anyone that's involved in that Catholic writing space or is Catholic writing. So um, we have... Almost all of us write with the Catholic framework in mind, but not all of us write exclusively Catholic works. Um, A lot of my stuff, for example, is aimed toward a more secular audience. I have a long-running series that's um, a Star Trek-ish space parody. But um, it was founded in 2008, basically with the goal of lifting each other up, helping each other to find inspiration, to find resources, to build things together with marketing. And now we have two conferences every year. One is online coming up, the Catholic Writers Conference online, and that is in February. We have a live conference, which will be in Chicago in May. We have a Couple of retreats that go generally every other year, as well as a very active online group with uh, critique groups, with um, people just getting together to encourage each other to write, whether it's a general, you know, hey, Let me help you with brainstorming. To is anybody else here? I need someone just to 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 give me a a kick in the butt so that I get you know three hundred words written in the next hour. And you'll almost always find a cheerleader. So it's a wonderful organization that is building writers, building authors, and we have dozens of Catholic writers who got their careers started thanks to the guild. And that's the real beauty of it is that just by coming together, we've, we've seated this garden that is blooming and it's, it's really for, it's really for Christ.
0: And how does your faith inform your writing?
2: Um, you know, it's, it's just who I am. Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, sit around thinking about it um i'm I'm a character driven writer and so the way that i write is i come up with a great character and then i just get them into terrible trouble (laughs) and the characters are the ones who bring out that faith and i think that's what gives um it gives evidence to the fact that God wants us to be co-creators because I'm creating these characters and these characters are bringing the faith theme in. Um, and sometimes it's very deliberate, like with the book we're going to talk about today, Discovery, where I'm actually writing about nuns in space doing um, search and rescue during um, safety, doing a thing. Uh, orphanages, all of that kind of stuff but they're nuns in outer space and then there are times where it just sort of happened I I was writing about a dragon, I wanted to do a dragon story in the noir setting and in a noir setting, your private investigator has to have something in his past that he feels bitter about well, what else would a dragon feel bitter about than having a really bad run-in with St. George (laughs) and from that came that the fact that he's he he was taken out, down by St George and then he was brought into the church and now he is working for the church and then he has a nun for a partner and so much is is coming from it but it was all because i wanted my dragon to to feel angry about something <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not not a big lift there, probably. I'm a big uh, Game of Thrones fan, but I'm in all seriousness. I'm glad that um, you know you find clearly in your in your work and your writing an outlet for your faith, and it seems mutually reinforcing. Uh, before the podcast, uh, Marie and I were talking about the solace we find in reading Chesterton or C.S. Lewis, whose faith centrally informed their work as well. Um, I all, I mean I I got a master's degree in English from Wisconsin and I always found it interesting twenty years ago when people thought that you should or could have a perfectly secular <laughs> grasp of of English literature uh, which I think is 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 just a fool's errand but uh, it's interesting to see how you you let your faith inform your work.
2: Yeah, I I feel like the the faith just flows into the work. I, I'm a conduit. That's that's pretty much what it is. So, and the more I get out of the way, the better the book is. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now tell us more about your book discovery. I mean, you're talking about nuns in space.
2: Tell us more about it. Okay. So this is um, the only novel in my rescue sisters. I have several short stories also on Amazon and this one involves my three favorite sisters, Sister Anne, Sister Tommy and Sister Rita. And they have been hired essentially to handle all of the safety and EVA training and everything else for a classified mission out in the Kuiper Belt, which is beyond Pluto. It's kind of a uh, asteroids and comets and proto comets and that kind of thing all outside of Pluto. And they've f- Scientists from Luna have found something unusual. And when they get there, they realize it's an alien ship. So they go exploring. And on the third arm of that alien ship, um, Sister Anne, who is a, a super genius visionary with Asperger's, most fun character in the world to write. But she she goes to the third arm and she has this vision of St. Michael. And she freaks out and starts telling everybody they can't go there. And that, you know, they have to remove their shoes and, you know, the eye of the needle. And She keeps talking in all this allegory because that's how she talks and nobody understands her. So they go in anyway. And all of the aliens had gathered there and died. Wow. And they're trying to figure out what it is. And little spoiler alert. uh, That is essentially like, like their chapel arm. They Mm. knew they were going to die. They all went there to be close to God when they did. Mm. And in each of all along this arm, there are these little pod areas. And On purpose and by accident, some of the crew go in there. And these pods are kind of like alien confessional examination of conscience things. What they do is they show you the thing that will bring you closer to God. Whether that means a sin that you need to take care of or a promise that God is making to you. And it affects the crew. As they leave. And because none of them understand, and quite frankly, none of them are listening to Sister Anne, um, <laughs> it causes all kinds of problems uh on the ship. And so there's there's just um then this is like where where different uh pro-life themes come in, because you know on on the one end of the spectrum, you've got Sister Rita, and and she basically dances in rainbows and And what she's experiencing is, is God's promise and telling her that she is on the right path. Meanwhile, there's also a, um, a he was a uh, uh, in the seminary, but he left because he had fallen in love with Sister Rita in their past and was going to propose, but she knew what was going on and she left the earth to to try and prevent that from happening. He sees them dancing in the rain. And he thinks that that means that they have a life together. But what he's not seeing is that after the rain comes the rainbow. So there's that dichotomy there. Um, and, and it's about, you know, making making your choices and, and keeping the promises to God. Then on the far end, you've got a scientist that... Um, Started out pre-med and then went into engineering. He had worked in an abortion clinic to pay for college. And had been helping out with that. And so he was given visions of the sins that he had committed. And he'd already kind of had been feeling bad about that, which is why he left and went into engineering instead. Um, But now, but, you know, he never confessed. He never, he never really confronted it. He just sort of walked away from it. And so he is now being plagued with that. And, and he has the, you know, the classic, his hands always itch because he he feels like they're always bloody and sticky. And Uh so, and, and then he's dealing with that. So, and then there's a big mystery that I'm, I'm not going to give this one away. People have no, it. no, a big don't mystery give it away. surrounding <laughs> Sister Anne that um, also has a lot to do with um, with the sanctity of life. And uh, I don't know how to explain without giving it away. So That's I okay. won't say anymore, but it, it's a, it's a really good mystery. <clears> throat> so. Throat>
1: You've definitely whetted our appetite, Karina.
0: <laughs> and you are such a prolific author. Where do you draw your inspiration from?
2: Characters. Uh, um, just a char- a Characters come into my head. And uh, quite frankly, the part of the reason that I started writing was because I had so many stories in my head. And I almost felt guilty because they just kept playing in my head. And I could spend hours just imagining these stories, and it somehow felt like inherently selfish mm-hmm. that I was wasting all this time making up stories in my brain. So that's why I started writing them out. And now the characters just demand the stories. So sometimes it's, um, it's as simple as, Somebody will will say, hey, I'm doing an anthology about wolves. Can you write me a rescue sister story about a wolf? And so I I wrote a story about a wolf on Mars. Uh, Mm -hmm. Other times, uh, my son is a big Godzilla fan. And I wanted to put my dragon up against Godzilla. Oh, wow. So that's the that's the latest one from the Dragon Eye series.
1: These, these sound very apocalyptic, Karina.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, most of my books are. Discovery is an exception, but most of my books are extremely funny. Okay. So yeah, Vern versus Godzilla is a riot. I had so much fun playing with all of the cliches.
1: One one of my first additions to the office was it was a uh, plaque of Saint Michael the Archangel. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm getting into these martial metaphors. So. <laughs>
0: Now, how would you advise budding authors? Um, Because I'm sure that we have podcast listeners who are interested in writing and and they just don't know how to start. I mean, they think that they might have a talent, but they don't know where to go from here. So what would you advise them to do?
2: Oh, um, really, the thing to do is just sit down. Uh, It's called bichock. B-I-C-H-O-K, butt in chair, hands on keyboard. Mm -hmm. Sit down, start writing. You are not going to write a masterpiece the first time unless you are extremely talented or extremely lucky. But you get the words out there and you start learning. And then you reach out to other writers. Um, The Catholic Writers Guild is a great one. If you are solely interested in fiction, legendfiction.com. Is another great place. There are now many online conferences. Uh, like I said, the Catholic Writers Conference online is coming up soon and it's $60 for an entire weekend. Plus, if you have a book that you want to pitch to a publisher and it is pitch ready, we have those too. So there are plenty of ways that um, you can learn, you can reach out. But at the very end of the day, none of it means anything unless you are putting words on paper or pixels on the screen. Get the stories from your head onto the paper.
0: And I mean, we can tell that you have a great sense of humor. And a lot of people dismiss people who view life our way and think we don't have any sense of humor. And I think that you defy that and you actually have done stand-up comedy. And, and what led you to that?
2: Oh boy, I've, um, I've always wanted to, to do. I'm, I'm, I'm a big ham. I'm, I'm an introvert by nature until you get me in front of an audience and then I'm a ham. And so I've, I've like I said, I write a lot of humorous fiction. And I decided um, to take a comedy class at the Orlando Improv. And there were a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to sharpen my comedy skills. And two, I felt like I was getting stale in my life. And I wanted to do something to make me a little more interesting person. Because, yeah, you get to a certain age and, a certain level in your marriage and everything. And you're like, we're just talking about the same things over and over. So why not do something different? And so I could come home with new things to talk about. And boy, did I come home with new things to talk about, especially since. um, Stand up comedy, especially with this group was a lot of bar humor. Right. And, and, and not, uh, not clean bar or dry bar humor. So I would come home going, did you know what this means, honey? <laughs> oh, but I met some great people um, and and definitely brought it in my horizons. I also learned that stand-up comedy is a very different animal from writing humor, which I didn't know before. And so I, I feel like it's made me a better writer and I'm... Working now to try, try and be a better comedian. I just did um, a stand up routine at our church for Gracia Plena and had a lot of fun with it, uh, kind of mutilating the Ten Commandments. <laughs> so it was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing a
0: wonderful job of engaging the culture at a time when we truly need it and we truly need humor. How can people connect with you and your writing?
2: Uh, the easiest thing is carinafabian.com. Okay. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can find links to all my social media. And you can look under the book section and you'll be able to see um, a list of all of the books that I have out with links. And if you sign up for my newsletter, you get a book free. And it is a collection of short stories from each of my different universes it's a great way if you don't know where you want to start you can read those and go oh man a zombie exterminator i gotta read about that and then you know where to go
0: thank you so much karina fabian author extraordinaire comedian extraordinaire thank you for being on the podcast today with us oh thank you this was a lot of fun
1: thank and you chris Karen. thank
0: you for being on the podcast with us as well yeah thanks chris
1: Yeah, I was just going to say good luck with with your comedy and your your future writing efforts. I know, as Maria knows, I'm known for having a little bit of a dry sense of humor. And I think we have enough depressing news in this movement, especially lately, especially this year, that, um, you know, you do have to take moments of joy and and engage your audience. And I think humor is one way to do that. Absolutely. Um, Even though it's not the the funniest subject in the world, um, you do have to give yourself a break from time to time.
0: And with that, we'll end it here. Thank you so much. And remember, there is always a reason to choose life.